You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Tensions rise over election hacking as more call for naming and shaming Russia. Assange says he has more docs to release on WikiLeaks. VDOS DDoS service earned its masters $600,000 over the last two years. GovRat 2.0 is out in the wild. Congress reports its investigation of the OPM hack. Intel sells its security unit, which will go back to its old McAfee name. And the FBI says they've nabbed the crackers with attitude. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, September 9th, 2016. There was little ambiguity at this week's Intelligence and National Security Summit. The U.S. and Russia are clearly positioned as adversaries in cyberspace. That the U.S. would rather not have to engage in an ill-defined and poorly delimited cyber conflict with Russia was equally obvious. But many of the summit's participants were prepared to echo U.S. Secretary of Defense Carter's warning to Russia that it should avoid interfering in democratic processes. In the case of some members of Congress and experts from the private sector, they were willing to amplify that warning. The senior members of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence called for more forthright attribution, more naming and shaming. The interference in democratic processes, of course, refers to what's being characterized informally, albeit all but officially, as a Russian government campaign to disrupt upcoming U.S. elections. Such a campaign is under active investigation, as Director Comey said yesterday at the summit when asked to comment on the matter. Direct hacking of voting is feared, and intrusion into state election databases has fed those concerns. But such Russian activity, as has been observed, is more consistent with influence operation than classic cyber attack. Observers see the probable goal as undermining confidence in U.S. institutions to the general detriment of the U.S. and the advantage of Russia. Most of the interest in the alleged Russian campaign continues to center on what Russian intelligence services may have collected from political parties, especially the Democratic Party, and from candidate Clinton's State Department-era private email server. WikiLeaks's Julian Assange, objectively aligned with Russia's government, has promised to release as many as 100,000 pages of new material related to Hillary Clinton. No firm date is promised, but Assange says he'll leak the material before the election. Krebs on Security reports that VDOS, an Israel-based booter DDoS attack service, has earned its masters some $600,000 over the past two years. The operator's criminal customers use VDOS in their attacks on targeted online services. 
InfoArmor has published an update on GovRat, a criminal campaign now in version 2.0, and exfiltrating data from U.S. government, military, and defense industrial-based targets. InfoArmor concludes that, quote, the threat actor is working with a highly sophisticated group of cybercriminals that are selling stolen and fake digital certificates for mobile and PC-based malware code signing used to bypass modern AV solutions for other possible APT campaigns, end quote. The Congressional Report on 2015's massive OPM breach is out. We spoke with Silence's Malcolm Harkins and got the inside perspective on the breach. We'll hear from him later in the show. The big industry news this week was Intel's sale of a controlling interest in its cybersecurity unit to private equity firm TGP. Intel Security, as the unit was called, will revert to its better-known name of McAfee, despite challenges from the original founder, John McAfee. Intel paid $7.7 billion for McAfee in 2010. It sold 51% of the unit for $4.2 billion. Intel will retain 49% of McAfee. And finally, remember the crackers with attitude, the boyos who allegedly got into the U.S. DCIs and DNIs, and other numerous private email accounts? The G-Men yesterday popped two millennial gentlemen, Andrew Otto Boggs, age 22, and Justin Gray Liverman, age 24, and charged them with various computer crimes in connection with the incident. The gentlemen allegedly worked by social engineering and not by applying any mad technical skills. That social engineering involved impersonating, the Fed say, allegedly, Verizon Techs and FBI IT support. Boggs and Liverman will soon plead their case in the Eastern District of Virginia. Observers expect a swift adjudication, that Alexandria court's not called the rocket docket for nothing. So, North Carolina, it turns out the alleged crackers weren't from Nutley or Ronkonkoma, after all, as some of our stringers had speculated, but allegedly, we stress, from North Wilkesboro and Moorhead City, North Carolina. All persons accused of crimes are entitled to the presumption of innocence, or so our lawyers tell us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. 
That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm joined by Marcus Roschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager for the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus, uh, some privacy groups are not happy with the Department of Homeland Security about a social media proposal that they've come up with. Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there's a new proposal out by the Department of Homeland Security that uh, says that anyone coming into the United States um, through a visa waiver program uh, would now have to also submit any kind of information information on any kind of online presence that they have. So that means um, those individuals traveling to the United States uh, in their visa waiver program application would um, submit usernames or other social media identifiers, Facebook, Twitter handles, um, so that they would submit that kind of information on their applications so that uh, DHS and the U.S. Customs and Border Protection could presumably investigate any kind of online media presence, uh, any kind of online postings um, to when they review the application of the individual traveling to the United States. So on the surface, that doesn't seem uh, terribly unreasonable, but there are a number of privacy groups who uh, are take issue with this. Right. So DHS is saying uh, a lot can be learned about an individual if you take a look at their social media or their online presence. And DHS thinks that they can then more easily or identify potential terrorists or other threat actors before they come to the United States. Um, of course, privacy and civil liberties groups are, are very opposed to this proposal because they say it's a fundamental infringement on on the right to speech and and the right of opinion, and it can potentially put a damper on people's uh, willingness to post uh, on online and to post their views and to 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 post their religious views online. There's a real concern among privacy groups that this proposal is a, is an infringement or obstacle to free speech and freedom of expression. And, and so it is just a proposal, so uh, I, I suppose there'll be a comment period before anything is, is settled on? Absolutely. Right now this is a proposal. Um, DHS is seeking uh, comments on this proposal. Uh, we'll see you know, what they get back. I know that a lot of like in the privacy groups, civil liberties groups have already uh, posted, uh, responded with strong opposition to this. I'm sure DHS will be getting a lot of comments about this proposal. And they'll... They'll take that into account and they'll see if they need to refine the proposal uh, and then we'll see what happens to the proposal in the end, if it, if it goes through or if, they, if DHS decides to scrap it. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Marcus Roschecker, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. The U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Oversight and Government Reform released their report on the OPM data breach this week, subtitled, How the Government Jeopardized Our National Security for More Than a Generation. My guest today is Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer at Silance, a cybersecurity company who is named specifically in the report for their part in detection and remediation of the breach. I asked Malcolm Harkins for his take on the report. I thought the report itself was quite thorough and complete. It it seemed like a very thoughtful and well-written and one of those reports that they turned over all the rocks and my read of it looks like they they summarized the key items quite well and it for me was very useful in, in looking through not only the details of the timelines, the analysis, but I also think the conclusions that they came up with. Can you take us back and, and sort of walk us through the timeline of what happened with this breach? Well, if you if you read through the report, there's there's in many ways a little bit of a couple different timelines. One of them started out a few years ago, long before this ever got into the press. In 2012, they had established that attackers had access to the OPM network, according to the U.S. CERT, and found malware resident on their servers since 2012. And so it evolved. You could look at it back into that time period, but also some things in 2013. But 2014 is really when they had the first, what I'd say, notification from the U.S. CERT uh, of data exfiltration from their network. And that was what created what they called their Big Bang strategy, where they spent a few months trying to figure out when and how things were occurring so they could observe the intrusion. And then they had their Big Bang strategy, which was essentially the extraction and remediation of the intrusion from their environment that they went through. Now, what I think most of us seem to remember is really what happened in 2015 when the notification went out that they had been breached. And that's really what caused the awareness, what then triggered the oversight committee to do this investigation. And and Silence is mentioned specifically in this report. What was your role in the discovery and, uh, and the remediation? So our role dates back in in multiple things. Into the 2014 time period, they were looking at our product, um, doing some evaluation of it at that time. But in reality, what happened was in April of 2015, an individual in the OPM organization got kind of the first indications of malware that that was uh, occurring. And what they had done was they brought a silence expert on site to help facilitate the discovery and then installation of our silence protect product. And then from there, we worked with them very closely through that rollout and then the remediation and essentially elimination of the intrusion from their environment. What we did was we 
found the specific instances of the malicious code when they had already had some detection. So OPM had already had some idea that some things were, were not right that were found through other means and other mechanisms. And then they ran those samples against us, which then told them, okay, this is uh, you know something that, that is malicious. And that's when we got the engagement. We sent people in to help. We started rolling out the product. And as you can see in the report, there were some items that as they started doing that roll-up, characterizes, you know, they were kind of lit up like a Christmas tree because once they rolled us out and they started getting the visibility to what was on their systems, there was right around 2,000 pieces of malicious code that, that we had identified. What are the takeaways for you? I think the takeaways are a few things. One, when you evaluate a new technology and a new set of controls and a new way of doing things, like OPM had the opportunity to do starting in 2014. And then again, if you look through the timeline and you look through the conclusions, if they had deployed us in those time periods, the report is pretty conclusive. It would have prevented and mitigated essentially all of this from having occurred. That's a little bit, you know, hindsight's 2020. But I think there's a lesson in that for everyone. And it's a new approach, it's a new way of thinking, but it does change the risk dynamic. So that's one. Two, perhaps the leadership challenge. And and I think that's that's a broader thing that when I read the report, that I think is a, perhaps a systemic issue across the industry in terms of having policies, not implementing them, having an idea of what I can do to solve the risk, not moving forward with it, not getting the budget and authority, having a level of perhaps more independence of the security team, the security officer from the IT team. Because again, if the IT team's measured on availability, rollout of functionality and cost, I'm a big believer in structure drives behavior, you get what you measure. That, that's an element, I think, of, of some of this stuff. And then, and then finally, I think the other big learning and conclusion out of this report is there is hope. You can achieve a level of security that is unprecedented. I think you can achieve a level of flattening and, and lowering your total cost of controls that's unprecedented when you focus on prevention. And then finally, I think with the right mindset, security can enable the business. That's Malcolm Harkins from Silence. You can hear more of our discussion where we talk about the responsibilities of board members, proactive versus reactive approaches to security, and how some security professionals have what Mr. Harkins describes as a hero dilemma next week on our website, thecyberwire.com. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler 
the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.